This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we have a phenomenal program. Last week, we kind of talked about predictions in the real estate market, and we had on the show no other than Brendan Ogmanson. Brandon Ogmanson, um, yeah. But this week, we've got Scott Brown talking about the Fraser Valley and in other surrounding areas of BC. This is super exciting. Yeah, you know what? I, it's really great uh, as a start to 2021 to do kind of a... Vancouver projections, right? And then do Fraser Valley projections, right? Yeah. This is, we're covering both areas. Scott Brown is a really, really bright guy. He's almost like an intellectual uh, of the market, right? He, he's sure. very thoughtful. Yeah, he's he's been analyzing various markets for a long time, but his predictions, when he was on the show last, he had some really thoughtful predictions and they came true. You know, so I can't wait for uh, for this week's episode. Yeah, yeah, and he sticks his neck out there, and he also this idea of kind of the 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 whole region kind of shifting towards Burnaby is an interesting. Yeah, an interesting. Lots, uh, lots to unpack there, but that's a great teaser. But before we get to this week's conversation with Scott, Matt, how is your rat's nest doing? Here's the thing: uh, I've heard from various people, and um, I'm finding out that this is actually. I I was thinking, you know, you know, I was I'm, talking about your hair. <laughs> 
<laughs> but no, you also had a car. I, I also had a car issue last week where I I had a rats rats make a home in my engine. Yes, and eat through everything. I still don't have my car back. Uh, I I am driving around in a Toyota Yaris right now, nice. <laughs> or a Micra. Yeah, uh, man, it is like really. Um, uh, it's really different from my car. Yeah, and you've had a you've had a uh, well, you drive a Hummer. Uh, I should say uh, <laughs> it's no. like I'm in a tin can though. It's kind <laughs> of man. There can't be a lot of gas going through this thing. There's like right. like I go up the hills in Fairview and it's not making it. Wow, uh, wow. But uh, no, back to my back to my engine. Um, Turns out this is very common. I acted last week like I was the only one this has ever happened. I've to. had a couple text messages from uh, friends. Yeah, and apparently this is like three quarters of the city has went through this. So uh, yeah, world's smallest violin for me. But um, but is it is it is there a lot of damage? There is. They're still waiting on parts. Uh, but it looks like it's upwards of north of two thousand dollars for sure. Wow. Um, so yeah, and uh, it might take weeks to get it back. So yeah. Good times. Really excited for the update. Uh, Before we get to our conversation with Scott, we have to mention we are sponsored by Oakland Realty, our brokerage, the best brokerage in town. That's right. Oakland Realty. If you're a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody who's been in the game a while, but sort of bored or or feeling uninspired, right? And you're looking at the new year and thinking, where should I learn more about brokerage-wise? Oakwin Realty is a place for you. Head over to oakwin.com slash join, type in VRP2020. What better what better way what, to start the new year than <laughs> by putting in last year's year? That's right. Oakwind.com slash join VRP 2020. There is a huge New Year surprise for you waiting. Yeah. Uh, not least, you get to talk to Michael, Morgan, and the gang about what Oakwind offers, and you won't be disappointed, that's for sure. For sure. And we also have the Sellers Club, Adam. Yes, Matt, the Sellers Club. It is heating up in the Sellers Club. It's the hottest club in town. So many people are signing up. If you are looking for the best resources to sell your home for top dollar in the shortest amount of time, you got to be at the Sellers Club. The best way to get in touch with us is to just send an email to info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Put Sellers Club in the subject line. You will get a constant drip of the best resources for sellers. It's free. I hear you're penning one this week, Matt. No, you know what? It is it's penned. Been penned. I'm, just, I'm just working on some of the grammar issues. Uh, <laughs> comma splices. <laughs> a lot of comma splices in there yeah. to deal with. But uh, this is, so your property hasn't sold, what next? Right. And I feel like you wrote it in the passive voice. When, <laughs> it's, there's some modifications we're making. But, right, right. But the information is, is tight. It's just those grammatical issues for sure. But Adam, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or just head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up to the live wire or private client services. We'll talk more about that after the show. But in that live wire every week, you can just click a link and you'll be uh, automatically signed up to the Sellers Club. Absolutely. So make sure you do that. And this episode today, just to highlight some of the most exciting parts of the conversation, we are talking about what's going to happen in the Fraser Valley this year and beyond. Uh, what are the most popular types of homes right now, the hottest sub-markets, the best areas for investors and the best product types, and of course, predictions for 2021 and beyond. Overall, some of Scott's favorite markets, and uh, this is a guy that you want to take heed of uh, his you advice. Want, you want to listen to Scott Brown, that is for sure, so stay tuned and uh, take notes. Enjoy.
Okay, so we're here with Scott Brown, president and CEO of Fifth Avenue Real Estate Marketing Limited, a new home marketing and sales agency, and past guest, I should say. Past guest fan favorite. Yeah, thanks so much for coming back on, Scott. <laughs> Absolutely, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, um, Scott, so maybe um, for some of our listeners who who haven't heard uh, your previous episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a Surrey resident. I've been in Vancouver been in the in the real estate business for about 30 years. Never intended to be. Uh, got involved and got doing some consulting and then kept getting sucked and sucked more into it. It's funny when you talk to people in real estate careers, probably 90% of the people I interview and ask questions about, you know, did you always imagine you're going to be in real estate? 90% of them say not a chance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we... my experience took me pretty much all over the world doing residential marketing. So working with developers who are doing hotels and condominiums and cities and resorts all over the world. And we would work with them to figure out what the product should be and how to price it and create all the brochures and the marketing and train the salespeople and sell them for the developer and then help the people move in. And about 2010, when my oldest son hit 12 years old, I was like, I got to be off an airplane. I cannot be out of the country, you know, 10, 15 days a month. So started to work just in the Vancouver market, created a research report with uh, another research firm called Urban Analytics called The Fifth Dimension. I'm writing my 11th, final 40th edition this year, so I'm going into our 11th year writing it, just understanding the multifamily market. And uh, got involved with Fifth Avenue about eight years ago as president and CEO. And so we work with real estate developers in suburban markets, and then our partners are also in other markets in B.C., and we work with developers who are looking to create townhome communities or low-rise condominium communities or high-rise condominium communities. And we help them understand the customer and work with the architects and figure out the product and actually bring the product to market and bring people to those homes. And, and on top of that, we obviously have to stay on top of everything going on in the market uh, to be able to help advise our clients well, but also to help the realtors and the, the buyers who are represented by those realtors make good decisions too. So one of the more interesting moments must have been March, April, May of, of 2020 for you guys when, as everyone did, we all tried to figure out, you know, what's going on, but also it it became pretty clear that uh, purchasing habits were changing pretty quickly. Uh, can you kind of talk about how you guys navigated COVID and, and did anything surprise you? Well, it's a good question. Uh, in my background, interesting is a swear word, so I'm glad you brought that word up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the market was chugging along and we had predicted that, you know, from July of 2018 till the end of 19, the market for new and resale was down quite a bit. It was showing signs of, re- of resale recovery the end of 2019. But new hadn't really shown that yet. And so the lowest year in 10 years for new multifamily sales was 2019. So we all expected recovery and restoration and good things at the start of 2020. And it was heading that way until, you know, basically spring, the end of March. And I think we were all shocked initially how quickly it ground to a halt. Literally, demand fell off a cliff. And so that was our first surprise is take care of our people, make sure everybody's healthy, help our clients, make sure they're not wasting marketing dollars by continuing to advertise. And then it really required us to think a lot about scenarios. And I think that's an important thing as a 
for anybody in life is, you know, make sure your worst case scenario is really bad and can you handle it? Make sure. So we looked at scenarios where we weren't going to sell another home until February 2021. We looked at what happens if the market comes back in September. What happens if it comes back in June? We had a suspicion that it could come back in June. So we had all our clients ready to do with that. We got, you know, 90% of our workforce all moved to work from home. Um, same rules as everybody else. I was shocked, pleasantly surprised at how quickly our teams adopted technology and how quickly, more importantly, the consumer adopted technology and their willingness came out in April and May. We were finding that our website traffic and people's requests for information were going up through April and, and early May. And we're like, okay, well, I guess people are home. They got nothing to do. <laughs> you know, they're looking at homes. So let's relate and build relationships and share information and get virtual and show people how to tour our presentation centers, all that stuff. And with respect to COVID, I always use this term fad and trend. Everybody gets the two confused. They think trend means short term and fad, they usually get means short term. They're not the same word. Trend actually means there's a long term legs to it. I think this technology, including QR codes in bars and restaurants to look at menus, and that technology was big in Asia and never got adopted here, but got revisited with COVID, and I don't think it's going away. So I think there's certain things that are long-term trends that the consumer decided, this is how I want to behave. So we, we saw them engaging, and then we said to our clients, if they're engaging like this, and, and I remember talking to our clients about two weeks before the May long weekend, I said, we're going to be locked down until after the May long weekend. But when that lockdown comes off, I said, we if we start seeing some sales activity in early May or late May, we should start thinking about whether or not to actually bring some of those new products that we were going to release to market in late June. And sure enough, the resale stats in May started to show a bit of life. The June showed life. Our consumers were engaging with us virtually and by appointment and safely, but they were still there. And the people that were engaged were highly, highly engaged. They were qualified. They were looking for housing. And so the surprise was how quickly things accelerated in the resale market first and the new in late June into July into August. So those months are normally, but we kept saying, okay, well, that's a great recovery for a month, but August will still be August. It wasn't right. this year. August lasted about a week this year in terms of the market. Normally, it's the slowest month of the year next to Christmas. So then we're chugging along September records. October records, November records, still not enough product released because developers were still weary of releasing high-rise, higher-volume projects. But townhome sales were double what they normally were, at least, and they were they were the largest-selling product category, and they're usually the lowest number of sales because you know townhomes are smaller in, in developments. You get 75 units in a townhome, you get 75 units in a wood-frame building, right? Lower price points. So that really surprised us was just how restorative the market kept going. And it reminded me of two things. The first thing it reminded me of was the only closest experience I have. And this isn't even really close. But I think about two things. I was working in Florida, about to release a new project at the first ever Greg Norman golf course. You know, second homes, truly not a necessity, a luxury for people. When September 11th happened, and we told our teams, we canceled our sales event that was supposed to be the following weekend. And we said, you know what? People are reeling down here. Just build relationships. Be there. Talk to people. Be their friend. If people call you and want to engage, engage. But, you know, don't sell anything. Just just be there, right? And then we went on a run after that. 
where that community and people were like, I, I need, I, I don't want to live in this home anymore. I want that second home. And so we sort of saw that same pattern where for some people, it seemed to be clarifying. They were like, I got to get out of this small apartment or, you know what, I've been putting off buying a house. Interest rates are really low because of this. I didn't lose my job like I thought I was going to. I'm going to buy a house. And we saw a lot of that. The other one was when I came here, the only market in 2008 that you could sell anything was in the Philippines. And I was launching a luxury project there in their downtown area in the Makati district. And we did really well. But it was the only place in the world in July of 2008 you could sell anything. But when I started following the research of the Vancouver market in 2009, closely preparing that report, I remember writing to people, don't underestimate the resiliency of the Metro Vancouver market in particular. And while the rest of the world truly had a global recession, and when you go to conferences in the States, they refer to it as the Great Recession, Vancouver bounced back so quickly. And so I said, this probably could happen again. And sure enough, that's what we've seen is that that Vancouver housing market has bounced back again. And then the big surprise in it for me of all of them was that December. Normally, okay, I figured, sure, there's going to be some normality to December. Well, and there's those two major markets that make up Metro Vancouver, the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board and Fraser Valley Board. The board stats are just out now that the New Year's here. They just came out on January 5th. And uh, the Fraser Valley in a year, if you looked at the year, year-over-year year map, it looks like no COVID happened. It was the growth that we expected. I expected about a 20% growth in market. It actually grew year-over-year year sales in the resale market by 29%. Mm-hmm. So you go in a pit, and you come out of a pit, and you climb not only above the pit, but you climb above the peak you were at the prior year. So that was remarkable. And that happened in, in December. December in the Fraser Valley, for instance, it was the strongest December sales on record ever, okay, ever, 81.2% above the normal for the month. So it just accelerated right into the holiday season. That surprised me. There were many surprises. But I think that consumer is now going to still expect us in the new year to be, okay, I still want to be online, but I still want you to have a sales center, but I'm not coming there. And don't put me there with 50 <laughs> people. <laughs> but when I do come there, mask up because I'm I'm going to look, if I like what I see after I've done all my research and looked online and walked you through me tours of the homes for virtual reality, I'm going to buy a real home. So if I show up at your door, pay attention because I'm making a decision that day, yes or no. And that's what we're finding. Right. So the tire kickers have disappeared. And and you think that's probably for, like, that's something that's gone away. Well, I think I think that, that there will be people who are, and again, I love the marketing term, the tire kicker. I know it's from the car dealership days. It sounds kind of funny, but it is kind of true. Looky-loos, we refer to them, or as neighborhood <laughs> visitors in work. <laughs> <laughs> But somebody who's been by eight times and is not going to buy something. Well, they, they're not coming by eight times because they don't go to any store unless it sells liquor or toilet paper eight times. So <laughs> so that, so that I do think that the consumer expectations of give me more information is just a continuation of what happened with the Internet. Okay, So the consumer is empowered. Back in the day, the consumers had to come to your sales center and your sales team had all the knowledge and the consumer listened politely well, you hopefully asked a few questions, but you told them everything you know about the community and the schools and the homes. Now, our teams are trained to find out where are the gaps in the consumer's knowledge 
And my job is to fill the gaps and help them make an informed decision because they know so much more already when they walk in. And now the consumer said, look, I like doing this at home. So give me more online like because the Internet came along and changed that first. People could get more information, but developers still held some back. Now they're not throwing up on themselves, but we are expected to give more and provide more of these online tools. And that is not going away. And some people are buying you know, homes as investors right online without ever going to see a presentation center. I still think the primary consumer wants to see and touch the location and your product. But I think where these virtual tools and these kind of things, they're not going away anytime soon. You know, maybe switching gears, Scott, a little bit. One thing that strikes me is, you know, you did marketed projects in a number of wildly different locations around the world. Was this idea... You know, the thing that you mentioned about resiliency in the Vancouver market and pointing that out, you know, 12, 13 years ago, whenever it was, can you, can you talk a little bit about what you saw and, and that made you make that claim and, and why Vancouver is so resilient and has proven so resilient? Well, sure, sure. I think there's a couple of things if I answer your question, right? One is that unlike Toronto or Calgary or Edmonton or, you know, Montreal, or even maybe even Chicago, Vancouver is not that conducive to just sprawling wider and wider, right? Like the central markets of Vancouver are geographically constrained. So in downtown Vancouver, and those markets that still haven't recovered to a degree, even though single family has, you have to tear something down to build something. Mm. Whereas in Toronto, you can still pretty much, you know, just go to the next neighborhood and start building towers. So some of it is just we have a built-in scarcity to it. The other one is we have an aging population, and we have, a, we have arguably for a major city the best climate of all, provided you don't mind swimming in January and February a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's that. There's also the global appeal of it. And look, you know what the amazing stat about this year's stats are? What's the one thing you didn't hear a word about, <laughs> except for from the Canadian <laughs> government? Yes, thank you. Exactly. You win I've the prize. I've been thinking a lot about that. Yeah. 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 Oh, the, the Liberal government came out the other day saying they're going to put in a federal foreign buyers tax, and I'm really like, why is this still an issue? Um, <laughs> and I don't necessarily oppose that in part. I don't like federal taxes like that. Let the provinces deal with that and the municipalities. But it's interesting in, in that the desirability of the place to live, the geography, the number of people from outside who want to immigrate here. And, and we still, our market still perform like this without really immigration. But immigration is going to come back. Um, and you just see that some of it's just, we just can't keep up. The other one is we also have a municipal and provincial government realm where people are trying to do right by the consumer. I respect that. But I think we actually constrain the amount of supply, at least on the new side. And so by doing that, you continually have a situation where it's a seller's market. So what I was shocked by was how quickly sales came back, but the prices didn't go down. They've actually gone up. And I know there's certain agencies like CMHC, they're going to say they're going to fall 18%. You know, they said that six months ago. Now they're saying, well, still going to fall in 2021. Really? Are we sure? They could, um, but they could also bounce back because the economy is supposed to improve in the second half of this year. The other thing that's happening, though, the secondary effect is that Vancouver's growth, like we're just not keeping up with the number of households, right? So it's not false demand. But the interesting thing was, guess who led the recovery? Wasn't the investor. 
It was an end user buying townhomes within six mm-hmm. months completions in our business. In the resale market, it was townhomes and single family detached that had had a little bit of price correction that quickly went away. But people wanted more space. And the thing that the unintended consequence of COVID in terms of people in Zooming and clients' abilities or you know employers' ability to have their staff not come downtown every day, go back to Manila again, you had to have license plates for which day of the week you were allowed to drive into downtown if you worked there. So half of the week, you either had to have two cars or you had to take transit or work from home. So this whole working from home thing in some other countries in the world is nothing new. But for many people in North America, corporations were really worried about their culture, so they wouldn't encourage it. And now they're going, gee, my employee's happy. They're still productive. They don't waste two hours a day in traffic. And most people actually took that extra two hours and probably spent at least half of it still working. Right? It wasn't like they were, you know, just going to the gym more. You know, because they couldn't. Um, but so I think that's a big shift. And I think that shift makes the other one is the development of the lifestyle of the suburbs. The suburban markets are not your father's Oldsmobile anymore. You don't have to compromise your lifestyle to afford a home. If you look at the shopping, the character retail, the number of centers outside of downtown Vancouver that are becoming, you know, very acceptable to live. And Vancouver now, it's a reverse thing. Whereas the be-all and end-all was to live in Vancouver and work in downtown Vancouver. It's not anymore. That is an amenity. And a lot of people turned off and said, well, I can't use the amenity right now. So it was left to itself for a while. But when events come back, like hockey and that, yeah, but there's people living in Port Moody or Coquitlam or that who are saying, look, I'm 20 minutes, 25 minutes by Skytrain downtown. I don't go there every day. My office is employment's moving more centered to the market. Burnaby is really becoming more like the downtown Vancouver and more the center of the market right now, in my opinion. That's another story. Interesting. That maybe we should we should talk about that. I'm, so it sounds to me like what you're saying then, Scott, is this shift that we've seen in buyers' habits of kind of leaving the downtown core, leaving dense areas for perhaps less populated areas with more space. That's that's a trend, not a fad. It's a trend, although like any trend, you may see those who push too far east or north may a percentage of them may after a year or two retreat back in but not necessarily all the way we see this with downsizers where they move out to chilliwack or hope to save some money and have a great house and two out two two out of every three love it out there form new relationships and golf and do stuff and about a third says okay this is too far so i'll move into langley or surrey or south surrey but i'm not going back to you know, Mount Pleasant or Kitsilano. So we may see a little bit of a withdrawal, but part of it is that there's a natural barrier uh, to multifamily anyway in downtown Vancouver and a degree to the west side is it's just too expensive, mm-hmm. right? Like downtown, when I wrote this report 10 years ago, and part of it, the other thing was that I noticed about it from working around the world was that our real estate was more desirable and our communities more desirable and actually heavily underpriced. That there were... What, give you a little example. We had our Olympics, I guess that's, you know, almost 11 years ago. Two weeks before, most of the restaurants and bars did what before the Olympics? Trying to remember. Raised all their prices. <laughs> oh, yeah, raised the prices. A little bit of a press <laughs> push back going, hey, why is a coffee five, seven bucks now, blah, blah, blah. Right. Did anyone who come to Vancouver from outside the world complain about our restaurant, our food and beverage bar prices being too high? Not really. No. No, because they're coming from London where it's 10 bucks to even just enter a coffee shop. 
right? <laughs> so, so the point was, I said the same thing was going to happen with our real estate, that, that downtown was going to go beyond $1,000 a square foot. At that time, it was about 600 It's now 2000 to 3000 So again, you got scarcity, you've got expensive land, you've got costs with res- related to municipalities of developing. And so now in downtown, to actually create new product in a high-rise, you pretty much can't do that if you can't get $2,000 a square foot. So if I buy my little 400-square-foot studio, am I willing to pay $800,000 for that? So I think that market is actually forcing people out of downtown, unless you're super rich or you're rental. And that that is what's going to cause that shift. We used to use the downtown market in my business as the in our industry as the U.S. dollar for where, where should prices go, what should we expect. Right. And I think that's actually shifted. I think the U.S. dollar now is Brentwood or Metro Town for multifamily for peak pricing and still having reasonable volumes. And you look at other neighborhoods and say, what will happen there relative to it? The Vancouver downtown market is its own island, so literally the, and figuratively. So downtown is kind of detached from the, the rest of greater Vancouver then? Pretty much, ironically, even though it's still that amenity. But it was funny, looking back at the recovery, the one thing that didn't recover, I think maybe six or eight new condominiums sold in all of 2020 in downtown Vancouver. Right, and a lot of projects are stalled, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like it's impossible to to successfully launch anything downtown. Now, here was another plus. The government did a number of things that were interesting. And I'm not going to get into being pro-liberal or anti-liberal. None of that matters, okay? I'm just going to talk about things that bother me. There were times watching the news where I wanted the prime minister to stay in his house and not give more money away. Because <laughs> I was worried, not because I didn't think people needed it, because I was worried about how we're going to pay for this and what generation is going to pay for this. Because there is, there is, there is a repayment coming. Right. But, but some of the things the provincial government did, with, for instance, with the Real Estate Act, most people don't know that when a developer starts a new project, they have to sell so much in nine months, or illegally they can't market anymore, and then they have to give the deposits back to people who bought if they want them back. So the government went, we want new housing supply. So they moved that to 12 months. Now there's a group trying to work with them to say, how do we make this in the customer's interest, but how do we get the consumer's interest, but get 24 months? Ontario doesn't have a clock at all. I don't necessarily think that's the answer. But the point is that the government said, okay, if you're pre-marketing, you can have 12 months now. So they did some adjustments, and I think some of those, it would be good to see if they stayed because they're actually good for the consumer. Interesting. So, Scott, I'm I'm just thinking about the logic of of kind of the the trend of people moving outwards for more space, and it it makes a lot of sense that people are moving out to the Fraser Valley, and and it does it does make sense that that's going to be a trend to some extent. What how does that extend to other areas in BC? If we think about like the the exploding markets on the island or in uh, the Okanagan. Um, or... Well, it's a, it's a great question. And we have a sister company that I'm also involved in leading called Epic Real Estate Solutions that is kind of the leading provider of what we do in, in the Okanagan and Kelowna-based. And they saw a significant amount of people now looking at Kelowna and going, I can live here. I can still do, have my job in Vancouver. My employer will let me live where I want. So younger people, also younger people, some people, affordability is still a big issue here. Even if you move to the valley, it's still a big issue. So people are looking at these these you know medium-sized cities as alternatives. I think Kamloops is going to see an, an exodus of younger people. So is Kelowna. 
Penticton possibly. Kelowna still has that base, though, of universities and restaurants and shops and a great summer. So the island, I think, will see some more growth. But definitely, it's not just what I think. The fact is, a number of older people, and we still have a significantly aging population, are now leaving Vancouver and central areas like Burnaby and Coquitlam and Surrey and the west side, and they're moving to, you know, essentially live in Kelowna or on the, in Victoria, Greater Victoria or Up Island. And they're taking, they're selling their house, they're taking some money and putting it away. Their lifestyle's changed. They may keep a rental apartment in Vancouver or just rent or use a hotel because they don't want to pay taxes. But they're in our project in Kelowna called One Water Street. Out of the 400 homes we sold in downtown Tower Project with great amenities, uh, about 60% we classified as pre-retirement buyers. So these are people in their 50s that are going to use it as a recreational property for a summer or a few, but eventually that will become their primary residence Mm. out of Vancouver. 60% of the sales were pre-retirement buyers out of Metro Vancouver. And the stats in Victoria aren't 60%, but they're definitely trending that way. They've grown to about 30 on new projects that we're doing involved in. in, in, uh, Not so much new projects we're involved in the area, but from the stats of resales and that. Victoria tracks this thing called buyers of origin, which is very interesting in their real estate board. Right. You know, I'm just, and we're kind of all over the place, but you've said so many interesting things. It's like going back to uh, something you said 10 minutes ago. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about you know, it's, it strikes me as a few things you've said here. One, purchasing habits have changed over the last year. I think if I understand people heading out to the suburbs and realizing that the suburbs don't look like the way they might have remembered them from, say, the 90s or whenever, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that they're actually amenity rich and, and great places to be. And this shift towards Burnaby being the center of the region, we always talk about downtown or we have over the last, you know, for the last years and years talked about kind of the center of the city being downtown and, you know, you drop the pebble in the, in, in the pond and it ripples out from there. And it, and, you know, I think that's what you were getting at with the U S currency being downtown. Can you talk a, a little bit more about that shift, how you guys are looking at the region and maybe where you see the, the opportunities for investors? Sure. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, and again, it's investors have different objectives. So there is an interesting thing that I'd start off with and say, it's interesting to see how much the property values are for even, for you know, condominiums or houses or whatever in, say, downtown Vancouver and how much they are, say, in, you know, New Westminster or Surrey City Centre. And then when you look at the rents, they're not exactly, the rents are not as far apart right. as the prices are. So I think, and also investors have shown a strange habit of being very comfortable making decisions between three and $650,000 and trying to find where they can buy product that they can rent at three to $650,000 and see some potential for capital appreciation. And you can't do that in the donut of the city anymore. $650,000 gets you a resale at best, right? In downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So they're they're moving out to the next neighborhoods first, the Burnabys, the Coquitlams, and that, and looking for those investments and seeing the trend of people wanting to go there and expecting some rental, you know, returns, but also probably expecting more population growth, and they're also expecting 
that there is some opportunity more for capital appreciation there because they haven't peaked. Like if you're at two to three thousand a square foot in Vancouver, is there room for it to go up? You know, or is that kind of where it's going to be? And then it's just going to be whether there's absorptions or not. So Vancouver, essentially, investors probably not interested because unless something unique comes along that can can hit a price, because the investors probably not wanting to pay the premium that a luxury end user is willing to pay to live right downtown near the ocean and all that shopping. So I don't know that I think that downtown still might be because its product's going to become real scarce. A long-term investor might say, "Okay, that's gold. I'll buy that and sit on it. And when gold's down, it's down. You don't sell it. But gold peaks. I think downtown Vancouver over 10 years could have another high where it's gold again. But an investor, I think, in buying in downtown Vancouver is buying gold. I think a Burnaby or Surrey investor is buying silver. So there's better chance for it on a percentage basis to increase. It's easier to liquidate. Uh, you, not somewhat easier. You don't have. There's more uses for it, practical uses. So I think that's the interesting switch with gold and silver. So where are these silver markets? And I think they're anywhere around transit to start with. And we're going to see some of that early stage transit work along Fraser Highway. And we'll see what prices they generate. We saw a wood frame project last year generate over $650 a square foot, which was almost a concrete price a year and a half ago, um, simply because it's located at the future site on 160th of a SkyTrain station that is funded but not built yet. So we're going to see a lot of densification along transit that hasn't occurred yet and where there's still opportunities for that kind of appreciation. Okay, that, that's that's interesting. Where where's the just just thinking about the gold and silver metaphor? Where's the uh, the Bitcoin, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for that type of return. not not in your portfolio. <laughs> that is a very good question. Um, so, is you know where is the Bitcoin? Is the Bitcoin in the resale market? I think the Bitcoin is probably in some of these these companies that are trying to sell purchasers and investors to buy $100,000 interest in a development and then go ahead and be a developer and participate in a profit down the road. And there's some of those doing that. They're not widely, those schemes are not as frequent in Vancouver as I've seen in other markets. Scott, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously we've seen tremendous growth in Surrey that's going to likely continue for many years to come. Do you have, and I know you have projects all over, so this is maybe a tough question for you to answer, but is there one sub-market or, or, or region that you're just really, really excited about personally? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you put it that way. I have three sons. One's 25, you know, <laughs> returning 25. One's 20, turning 23. And I got another one who's tur- turning 19 this summer. And I'm, I don't have a favorite. That was my have, next question. I have, a unique, <laughs> I have a unique relationship with them. But what I can tell you is that one of the things I enjoy about the unique relationship I have is that the Okanagan to me and what is going to happen there in the next 10 years is absolutely fascinating. Both the combination of people moving out of busier cities, like because there are a lot of people that are grieving Vancouver's growth. It's not the same city I grew up in, takes an hour to get everywhere, and so they just get fed up. So I'm interested very much in Greater Victoria. My one son's the Okanagan, my one son's the island. And my other son's the suburban markets. And I got a really important nephew who's downtown Vancouver because our our company has a sister company in Toronto called Baker that's the largest project marketing firm in Toronto for high-rises. 
they're creating a venture here with another individual and we'll support it called Baker West that's going to concentrate on those markets that Fifth Avenue doesn't because our brand is very much about affordable and about suburban and townhomes and multifamily and you know the odd luxury project that we'll do where we'll partner with Sotheby's or something like that but so I like all the markets but if there's one that I'd say that I'm watching to see the most transformation probably the Okanagan you know, we're having Michael Ferreira, who you know, obviously, from Urban Analytics. He's coming on the show a little later in the in the spring, and we always get him to talk about kind of projections. But obviously, Scott, you have your finger on the pulse here. What are your thoughts for what the market in the Fraser Valley is going to do in 2021? Well, I'll talk about the Vancouver market and the Fraser Valley overall, and I don't mind putting a projection out. We can talk again this time next year and see if I was high on glue or I had it right. <laughs> so. Right. The market, the resale market next year, I think will probably go up by 25 to 30% again. But I think it will be volatile. I think there might be a month where everybody thinks it's doom and gloom and we don't sell anything in the first half of the year or so. And then all of a sudden it'll, it'll turn itself out. And I think that, but the difference is with most people's hope about the vaccine and the impact of that, I think it's actually going to be less potentially volatile than I thought because people have hope. People will behave ahead of their hope. Give you a good example. People can't wait to get their shorts on in March. But in September, they're getting out of their shorts as fast as they can, even though their legs are still tanned. People always work, live in the future half the time. So I think people, we have to be careful that people don't act like they've already been vaccinated before they are. But I think we'll see some of that, that people will be hopeful before they actually have the reality of the vaccine. But there could be some concern of like a spike in cases that slow things down for two or three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Like Ontario just got locked down from, while we were making sales over the holidays, Ontario got locked down from the 26th till I think January, the day before the Leafs play or something like that. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> probably strategic. Uh, so, so I think that overall market, both Fraser Valley and downtown are going to grow. And I think it's, it's important to say that that's not investment demand just alone. That's real end users, real people with real needs that, you know, the number of households keep growing. I think on the new side, we had our lowest year of sales, barely 8,000. And then we're bounced back to probably, I'm just doing the early polling, but I guess we're going to figure the year either just shy of or at about 10,000. So about a 20% growth. In the new, I predicted 20% growth plus next year and the year after. So I do, you know, and again, I don't say those things lightly, but just the underlying fundamentals say to me that, you know, barring some type of significant global economic event, and I mean an economic event, the projections, and most people are projecting increases, the, you know, the government bodies that, that maybe aren't are probably just more cautious, but when you dig into the details of it, because they don't want people overextending on credit to get involved, and that's, that's I get that. So I think that, again, the suburbs, what's interesting, though, is this last little shift is that increasingly, if I count, not just the Fraser Valley, I take the suburban market, so I count Coquitlam and Port Moody in that, and Maple Ridge, and out to Mission, and Chilliwack, and back into Langley, and back into Surrey, and up to North Delta, if I count those markets, they are increasingly becoming more and more of the overall market share, not just in resales, but new. And that's a very important statistic. So not only, and if you look at that from an employment base, I think that's mimicking itself as well. It's becoming a bigger share of the population. I know in terms of industrial real estate, it's certainly the case that that's shifting. 
you just look at how Surrey and the Campbell Valley is just constantly filling in with new industrial because Vancouver can't create anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's just, again, this one of the things that used to annoy me when I first came here was that this market is fascinated with real estate, including consumers. Like in most of the other markets I work globally, real estate is maybe a top five story. It's not the top story every day, right? Or one or two. Here, this market, I was just really like, wow, people are really fascinated with real estate. They talk, even Toronto, they don't talk about it this much. It's pretty fascinating Toronto, but not as much as Vancouver. So that kind of both is good and bad. But what I realized with that that whole kind of fascination with real estate is that, you know, it, it does create a bit more anxiety for people than maybe is necessary. If you're not looking to sell your house, it doesn't matter what the market's doing today, <laughs> right? But the media and the news that wants to report on these things does. My big pet peeve, though, was that if I learned anything working internationally, I learned about the complexity and the nuances of each of these different markets and how some of them had similarities, but each one was unique. And that is true of Vancouver and its Metro Vancouver and all its complexities of neighborhoods. And what happens is when when you focus on talking about the market, half the time the media doesn't work. It's not disclaimed clearly in reporting. What market are you talking about? If you're talking about Vancouver West Side and single family prices not being affordable and foreign buying and all that, it's concentrated there, right? Mm-hmm. So say that. And does that really affect everybody else? Like if I bought my house for 600000 and it's worth two and a half, and now I can only sell it for two, boohoo for me a little bit? But that's where we tend to draw our attention. So I always want people to cite which market are you talking about, right? So are you talking about – because Metro Vancouver has become a true metropolitan area, not just one center with a bunch of pins in it that are bedroom communities, both from an employment perspective. That's why I said you know, you know, from an employment perspective, a population perspective, everything. There's a significant shift, not only the U.S. dollar becoming Burnaby, but the overall center of the market is not downtown Vancouver anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of that is that people live there for lifestyle and they rent for a while and then they go, okay, well, I did my two or three years of that and they get out of there. And it is amazing. It's really struggled socially right now through this. Um, And also, I think there's just there's certain municipalities that Vancouver seems to really want to push rental because they want people to be able to live there and have a diverse community. But that's coming at the expense of for sale. So unless you're doing luxury, you're doing rental which means that if I'm an investor, I don't have product, except for on Canby Corridor, I have to go to Burnaby if I want to invest in real estate. And it's funny how much we often make, one of the things I always admired about the Australians was their approach to foreign buying was positive and negative. Okay, So their approach was that we want foreign buying because it takes risks and enables developers to sell faster, de-risk their projects, and build product stock that could be rental or affordable, right? So if you were a foreign buyer in Australia, you can only buy new. You can't buy resale. So what that did is avoided the inflation of single family detached product being driven up in nice and in ideal neighborhoods, like what we happened in the West Side here, right? So that's an interesting different approach is that they actually encourage investment in new. I think we should be encouraging investment in new because that's the only way we're going to get our housing stock melt. Right, right. right. If COVID taught anything is that does anybody not believe we still have a supply issue if the market's doing what it's doing right now, even in COVID, even with investors a little bit more quieter? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. We've been talking a lot over the last year about that. Like, what else can this market kind of sail past, right? It's like uh, stress tests, any number of foreign buyers taxes, any number of policies to stifle demand, uh, a global pandemic. <laughs> it's like, what else can we do well, here? <laughs> well, I, I think one of the things that you just point out really well, though, is that the unintended consequences of COVID was having to maintain lower interest rates. And that is definitely like if if the the stress test was probably the the straw that really slowed the camel's back or almost broke it in 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 July 2018. The combination of the stress test and all these additional taxes, the lower interest rates are probably the one sustained factor that is going to allow, allow this to continue into 2021 and 2022. Because I don't think they're going to be moving those rates back up until the economy is truly moving. Right. Well, that is uh, a lot to think about, Scott. And I, I can say with complete honesty, the best damn podcast uh, ever, <laughs> ever recorded. <laughs> um, Scott that definitely rivals the last time you were on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think last time we were a little bit more constrained in our subject matter. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So anytime, guys. I love to talk about this stuff. It's just very natural talking to you. Appreciate that, that you make it fun. Oh, uh, no. Well, we, we really appreciate having you. And and Scott, how can people find out more about what you're up to and uh, Fifth Avenue Real Estate Marketing Limited? You know, last year was our 40th year in business, but we didn't have a party and we didn't really celebrate because it didn't feel appropriate. But at the end of the year, we did start to do a brand refresh and we invested a fair bit in our website because the consumers were going more virtual. So if you go to fifthave.ca, fifthav.ca, you can get that research report that I talked about for free because 95% of the 10,000 units that got sold this year that are new never show up on MLS because developers don't put all their homes on US, on MLS. cost right. money, right? So they can pull that report. They can see everything I talked about, the new patterns. There's some nice graphs and stuff like that. It's broken down, so one page per neighborhood, real approachable. They go to our website. They can download that. They can get it sent to them for free on their phones. They can look at new communities. They can see some of our our blogs about what's happening with investment product. They can link through as well to what we're doing on the island in the Okanagan. We're on the list. It's a great list to be on for sure. So uh, we'll, we'll link to that in our show notes. And yeah, thanks again, Scott. My pleasure, guys. Have a great new year. Look forward to talking again. Maybe we should touch base in a few months and just see what early polling is showing. You know what? That would be that would be phenomenal. We'll set we'll set that up for sure. And uh, always appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Have a great day. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Scott Brown from Fifth Avenue Marketing. Yeah, Matt, I always enjoy having Scott on the program. And uh, man, he doesn't disappoint. Super great insights into the market, into the sub He's a thought leader. He's a he, thought leader. Definitely There's no doubt about leader. that. And I love the analogy of all the different, uh, the, the three regions, the three kids. He loves them all equally. Right. That was what dad used to lie about. <laughs> we knew it was you, Secret. <laughs> Anyways. What else do we have for today? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can sign up for things like the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer. You're getting stats before anyone else. You're getting stats that are not available to the general public. Right. Dig into subregions. See how certain price bands are selling. This is a list. 
you want to be on, there's no reason why you shouldn't be on the live wire. That's over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have tried and true private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information. It's at your fingertips. We've tried all the resources out there. This one is the best to search for real estate. It updates you before any other any other product out there. Some say and, 36 uh, to 72 hours in advance. It is incredible. If you are looking for real estate in Vancouver, this is the resource you want to get on private client services. You can go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And last but not least, the Sellers Club. Yeah, Matt, these are the greatest resources. They're for free. You can sign up, checklists, actionable plans to get your home ready for market. And if you sign up, we'll send you volume one. Volume two is going out this week. It's already been penned. And uh, we are, yeah, it's just a great place to be. We are dancing to the wee hours of every morning at this club. That's right, the Sellers Club. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Well, have a good week, guys. And next week, we are coming to you with Tony Joventu. He is an expert on strata insurance. He's an expert on condos in general. Right. Well, he's the executive director of the Condominium Homeowners Association of BC. Right. Most of our listeners will have heard of Tony. I think the here's the teaser. What is going to happen with insurance in the next couple of years? And what is going to happen with strata fees? This one does not disappoint. If that's not a teaser to get you back next week, I don't know what it's going to take. It is a great show, and have a good week, guys. Yeah, in the meantime, enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show. 
or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.